a lot of times we just, oh, I have this good story about what happened here. I have this story about something that happened in my business. Mm-hmm. But we don't often think about, okay, is this, is this relevant? Welcome to Doing Big Things. I'm Brett McDermott, and every week we are going to explore the systems, mindset, and habits that are allowing people to take action on their dreams and be the hero of their own story. My hope is that you walk away from every episode with new tools and strategies that will help you to realize your full human potential and do big things in your own life. I appreciate you being here. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, guys. You know, before we get started, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could pick up your handy dandy phone and leave us a rating or review. You know, it really helps us to to get the podcast to more listeners so that more people can benefit from the systems, mindset, and habits that we talk about here every single week. So today I'm pumped because we have a really cool guest on the show. If you're looking to communicate with more confidence, charisma, and clarity, then this is going to be the podcast for you. He is the author of the best-selling book, Elite Communication Skills for Young Professionals. He is the elite communication coach himself. Ty Hosgen, thank you, man, for being on the show today. Thanks, Brett. Pleasure to be here. I'm pumped up for this one. You know, I think just communication as a skill, I mean, you could argue it is the most important skill that people really need to work on to level up in any area of life. And it's kind of a skill that isn't really taught in, you know, grade school or, or college. It's, it's almost very, very rarely touched on. You're preaching to the absolute choir here, Brett. <laughs> I could not agree more. I say this all the time. It is one of the most important skills. I always like to talk about a, there's actually a stat by Harvard and Stanford and the Carnegie Foundation, all this research that says 85% of your financial success for the average person is based on your communication skills. And we are not taught this stuff in school. It's such a powerful skill for personal life and professional life. It's completely transformed my own life in so many ways. I've seen it transform hundreds of other people's lives in so many ways. And so the more that I can do just to share some of this knowledge and help educate, because we're not generally taught this in any capacity, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. <laughs> it is, 100%. And like you said, it really doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, even the great Warren Buffett, right, the most successful investor of all time, I think, has a quote where he's like, you know, if you're not learning how to communicate, how to write, then you're kind of giving up your potential. It goes something like that. And it's something you wouldn't expect to hear from Warren Buffett, but almost every successful, ultra successful person out there is an above average communicator. Like that is just the truth of the matter. So, uh, you know, I kind of want to dive into your story a little bit, you know, Ty, like how and when did you become a communication coach? It's a great question. So oftentimes now when I speak, people will think, oh, looks like he was naturally gifted. He was probably born with these skills. It was actually quite the opposite. And it was my lack of skills <laughs> that really brought me into this world. <laughs> so I was very much the shy, awkward, quiet kid growing up. I actually grew up on a farm, pretty isolated from other people. And my favorite thing to do was just climb trees, break sticks, avoid human interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And so it's actually when I entered the professional world that an, an obsession grew 
purely based on the amount of struggle I was having. So the only job I could get out of school was a life insurance broker. And at that point, I was pretty afraid to even ask someone about their weekend. Now, Brett, I'm asking them, what's going to happen to your family if you die early? So (laughs) very uncomfortable situations. (laughs) Huge transition, one I was not at all prepared for. And so I had some pretty dark days when I was in the professional world, especially early on, trouble sleeping, very anxious, making almost no money. And I essentially learned that I had to do something. I wasn't even trying to be successful at this point. I was just trying to get to the point where I didn't hate going to work. Sure. So that's really what planted a seed that eventually grew into the communication coach that I am now. Coaches, Brett, weren't really a thing 10 okay. years ago or whatever it was, right? It was coaches for sports. That yeah, was basically now, it. Now, now everyone's a coach. You know, you, you, for if, sure. If, if you meet, uh, <laughs> if you go through a week without meeting a, a new coach, it's like uh, it's a rarity. <laughs> it is. So I had learned everything on my own practice, trial and error, lots of experimentation, lots of research, lots of reading. So it's a very slow, painful way to learn. <laughs> yeah. No guidance. So one of the reasons I actually became a coach was so that professionals and typically I don't work with people who are struggling as much as I did typically the people I work with now they've had some success in their career but I found these skills I'm able to benefit people the most when they're trying to get to that next level when they feel kind of stuck they're just not getting the respect that they deserve at work they want to be taken more seriously they're not shy and awkward as much as I was, but they're not as confident as they'd like to be when talking in those meetings with their boss or presenting or speaking to executives, that type of thing. So I always like to say that I learned about communication the hard way through all the years of struggle, taking a lot more time than necessary. And now I get to teach it the easier way, which is I know it works. I've seen it work. A lot of it's backed by science. And so it's really just narrowing the learning gap for people so they can make those changes quicker, easier, and way less challenging. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And listen, having a coach in any area of life that you're looking to level up can just five times, 10 times, you know, the speed at which you grow. I mean, it really just accelerates the process. I know any area of life that I've seen really fast pronounced growth. It was always with some type of mentor or some type of coach that was there giving me tips, holding me accountable, just as human beings. Like that's kind of the way that we work. And if we've got someone there that we're meeting with on a regular basis, that's giving us new information, that's holding us accountable, you know, that's going to drive us. I mean, it's just like, look at the, uh, the difference between like having a personal trainer, someone that's holding you accountable to a diet and then trying to do it on your own. I mean, it, it's night and day. And I think it's just so interesting that people, you know, have not necessarily prioritized the art of communication nearly as much as they have. I mean, most people have never even read a book on communication skills, nonetheless thought about having like a a full-time coach when it really is just the most, the single most important skill there is to, to hitting that next level of success. So, you know, on the back of that, you work with a lot of, you know, very powerful, you know, high ranking executives that are looking to take their game to the next level. You know, what would you say is like one of the most common mistakes communication wise amongst your clients? 
I'm going to give you two. Give me two. Give me three if you want. You know, one is like... <laughs> one <laughs> is for when they're speaking, and then the other one will be for when they're on video calls because those are two Perfect. key ones that I see all the time. So the yeah. first, when they're speaking, a lot of times, to put it simply, people are just saying too many words. They're talking for too long at once. They don't know what the point is that they're trying to make. It's not clear to everyone. It's not as concise as it should be. So that's probably the biggest mistake I see, especially when people are in those higher pressure situations. They kind of start going on and they're rambling a little bit. And in their minds, it makes sense. They know exactly what they're saying. Other people, not so much. So then there's kind of some miscommunications, some misunderstandings. People are challenging them a bit or they're just kind of glossing over it because their points just aren't really clear. That would be the first one is they're not concise or clear enough when explaining themselves. And then on video calls, it's a really simple one, which is people just generally don't think about the way that they look and the way that they show up on video calls. So even now, making sure that upper torso to head is, vis okay. is visible is really important. A lot of people sit really close. So you can only see their face. Right. I feel like you're, you're right up on me there. It almost feels like you're like invading people's, uh, you know, personal space there. It's exactly what it feels like. So if you're too close to the camera, the f fear center in the brain actually gets activated in anyone seeing you. So it's called the amygdala. So the amygdala gets activated when we see somebody too close to the camera, almost like they're in our personal zone in real life. That's so even just, just making sure you're sitting far enough back, think about if you're sitting at a table having dinner with someone or in a boardroom, you can usually see kind of that upper torso and up. So the whole idea is we want to mimic an in-person interaction as much as possible. So even just making sure that you're sitting up straight and that there's enough of you showing to the camera makes you look more confident, makes you look more professional, and it doesn't scare the other person. <laughs> right. which does actually happen often subconsciously without anyone knowing. That's pretty interesting. I love those two tips. So just to kind of rewind, you know, work on making your statements and your presentations and your explanations a bit more concise, a little less wordy, you know, sometimes less is more when you're explaining yourself. Like you said, a lot of times, you know, we'll kind of spin ourselves in circles as we're explaining something and it makes sense to us. But the person on the other side of the conversation has no idea what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> and and then for the like the Zoom calls, the video calls, you know, make sure that your your upper torso and head or are, are there for everyone to see. Where and don't sit too close to the camera because it actually has like a chemical response in people's brains that kind of probably stresses them out, makes them put a guard up a little bit, makes them feel almost a little unsafe. That that's really really interesting stuff. I guess for the first one, is that just something that we should work on like every day? Like, like when we're working on a communication skill, like let's say you're with a client and you're like, okay, here's what you need to work on. I need you to be a little bit more concise with your statements in your sentences. Are you kind of assigning them like one skill a week to work on as to not overload someone with too much to work on at a time? Like what's the best way to ingrain these skills in our daily life? It's a really good question. Usually focusing on one skill at a time is best. A lot of the people I work with are 
fairly busy professionals. Mm -hmm. So I never want to overwhelm them <laughs> and stress them out. That's not a fun way to learn. <laughs> so typically one skill at a time, like the speaking concisely, speaking more clear, how to deliver your points. And so I'll give them things to practice and work on between sessions. That being said, there are other clients that are very ambitious and they're like, give me more, 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 more. And I'm happy to, to give them more. So it really is actually dependent on the person and just how much time that they're willing to spend. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about communication is that it's not like you mentioned going to the gym, personal trainer, right? or learning an instrument, right? Where you actually have to have that instrument in front of you, or you have to go to the gym, or even, even working out at home. You have to be in a specific spot. Communication, you're talking to people all day anyways. It's true. In some type of capacity, you're communicating at your job and your personal life. So the nice thing is you can actually implement a lot of the skills that you learn during the situations you already have. So that's something that kind of separates it too, is you can get a lot of practice time in even without putting a lot of extra time aside. Yeah, that's a good point, right? If you're, if you're trying to get bigger biceps, there's only really one place to do that. And that's in front of some weights. Um, but if you are trying to become a, a great communicator, I mean, there's opportunity to put in those reps all around you all day long. So that, that that's pretty interesting. The most important skill is one that we have the most opportunity to work on on a, on a daily basis. I think a lot of people in their communication, they want to convey more power. They want to receive more respect, right? They want to really, for people to look at them you know, in a position of power. So if you were to just meet someone on the street and you were to just kind of give them one easily installable hack to convey more power in their communication, what, what would that be? If I meet somebody on the street, I'm going to tell them to optimize their body language first and foremost. And it's actually really simple. So if they're on the street, let's say they're standing, mm -hmm. I would tell them to make sure that their shoulders are down and back, that their head is up, their hands are at their sides, not in their pockets, not crossed, visible hands just at the sides, and the feet are a little bit wider than shoulder width apart. Now, the reason I said body language before anything else is that studies actually show body language is between 65 and 90% of total communication. So that's in person and on video calls when we can see people. Mm -hmm. I see very, very often tons of body language mistakes being made out in the real world. People are kind of slouching or they got their hands in their pockets or they've got their arms crossed or their heads down. Now, this is challenging because we don't actually see ourselves. Right. So we don't know we're making a lot of these mistakes. But even just making sure that you're upright you have good posture, your hands are at your side, simple, simple stuff. If you look at somebody in that position, you're going to respect them immediately much more than somebody who's a little bit slouched, heads down. That makes a tremendous difference. That's pretty interesting. Now, is that so like feet a little wider than shoulder length, you know, shoulders back and down, chin up, almost like you're holding a crown on your head. I've heard that one before as like a, a visual aid. Is that usually one of the first things you touch on with clients? Like, hey, listen, monitor your body language all week this week and, and just 
you know, pay attention to how that makes you feel more confident. And it'll also allow you to speak more confidently. Is that usually the first thing that you touch on with clients? Great question. It is usually one of the first things because it is so important and because it's scientifically proven to have the greatest impact. Another reason is that the first impression that you make of someone is largely based on all of these nonverbal cues, right? We make an, an impression of someone before we even start talking to them most of the time. It happens really quickly. Sure. Less than a second is what a lot of the research says. So that's usually one of the first things. It doesn't matter if you're an exceptional speaker. If your first impression is kind of awkward and insecure, very, very tough to change somebody's perception once they already view you that way. Sure. Right. The tough to come back from that. And I remember, you know, when I was single all those years, you know, ago, right. You go up and talk to a girl. If you fumble those first two words, it's over, you know, good luck. <laughs> so, so see you later. You'll, you know, hope you have better posture on the next one. But, um, and while we're on the topic of body language, cause I just think it's such a fascinating, um, topic. Is there anything to like, the importance of like working a smile into the early part of a conversation or showing some, showing some teeth while, while you talk, like the, just the importance of, you know, smiling. Is that something that you touch on with your curriculum? Yeah. Smiling is a nice gesture for sure. It's not necessarily a make or break. The main thing is that you don't look incredibly stern Okay. Right. <laughs> or too happy-go-lucky. So it's just kind of finding that little middle ground. A lot of people have some version of resting bitch face if you're a woman. Sure. Resting whatever the male equivalent is. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think, of I, that. I, I think I've seen males with the with the RBF as well. For sure. I have a. Couple yeah. For sure. I, I'm sure it's. I could probably use that term for both. I think so. I, for I, both. I, yeah. I yeah. I'm going to use that, that term for both. Definitely. So what's, what's most important with that is I usually just try to keep a slight smirk. Sure. Now, the reason is I'm actually one of these people who look very serious and way too stern, generally speaking. If I'm just going about my day, if I'm working on my computer, I actually look pretty angry is what mm -hmm. I've been told. So I consciously now just try to keep a slight smirk at all times when I'm meeting somebody new just to make sure that I'm not frowning and looking angry. Sure. The smiles are always nice. It's it's a fine line. You don't want to be too smiley constantly throughout a conversation because you then come across not as assertive or maybe not as serious. So right. just a little bit of a smirk, smile every so often. That's that's usually a nice healthy balance. I like that a lot. Just kind of you know make a note that like the corners of your mouth are maybe pointed slightly upward as opposed to slightly downward. And that can kind of totally change your, the, the people, uh, the perception that people have of you, but it's not too smiley. People don't look at you like a clown, but like a snake oil salesman who's, you know, just trying to run them up the river, but just a slight smirk shows people that you've got a positive mindset, but it doesn't overcook it. I, I like that a lot. I think that's a really good tip. Um, you know, I, I just think there's so much to talk about on the body language fronts and just things that I, I really want to pick your brain about. Is there like a, a strategy or a tactic as far as eye contact 
that you teach, like, you know, what's the best way to use eye contact? Do we just keep eye contact the whole time? Do we try and look away every 20 seconds? Like, is there a formula for powerful eye contact? There actually is. So I'll, I'll give you what experts recommend based on mm -hmm. all the science and that type of thing. And then I can give sort of what I tell people as an easy way to implement it in their daily life. So technically, based on all of the research and the scientific studies, you're supposed to make it between 60 to 70% of the time in a conversation. And the optimal length is four to five seconds of eye contact at a time. Then you look away for a couple seconds. Then you reconnect with the eye contact and kind of repeat that. I like that a lot. 60%, four to five seconds, look away. So you're not burning a hole through their soul and scaring anybody. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah, we don't want to start a staring contest or, you know, we look at someone for too long and we stop blinking. Right. Our eyes get wide. <laughs> Right. My, my, my contact lens falls out and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and rolls down my cheek. Like that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> 100%. So I, sometimes people say, well, do you expect me to measure my eye contact? I'm already focusing on these other things in the conversation. I totally understand that we're probably not going to be able to track 60 to 70% of the time <laughs> when we're already worrying about listening to the other person, engaging right. with them, doing sure. everything else. Right. So I always just say, try to make it, make eye contact more than not. Yeah. Right. So make eye contact for, you know, as long as feels comfortable, which for most people is somewhere in that five, even up to 10 seconds, usually no longer than that. Mm -hmm. Make it as long as feels comfortable, look away for a couple seconds, reconnect. Something about looking away that's actually really important too. Just look slightly up. It can be anywhere up. Think of like 45 degrees up to kind of 90 degrees. If we look down, it actually makes us look kind of submissive, kind of timid, even anxious sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if you're breaking it for those couple seconds, just look a little bit up. Anywhere in the up range is fine. Don't worry about being too precise. That's an important one because the whole idea is eye, connect, eye contact increases the connection, makes us look more confident, develops more of a rapport, builds more trust. But a lot of that kind of goes out the window if we're looking down at our feet Sure. in between. That's really interesting. And it's so funny how those like these just little tweaks that we can make to our communication skills that'll make all the difference. And I would assume most people when they're listening to someone or communicating and they look away, I think, I think most people look down, you know, I think just kind of like as a habit, I think I see that more than the slight look up, but I do think that I get a better feeling about people when they look up a little bit towards the sky, as opposed to down towards the floor, you know, when they break eye contact with me, there's certainly something to that. There's like something energetically almost that you can feel versus if somebody looks up, it's like, okay, they're thinking, then they come back. Looking down almost feels like they're breaking the connection and the energy mm -hmm. a little bit. That's normally what I feel. So yeah, small, small change, but a lot of these small changes really have a big impact. Yeah. There you go. Masterclass on eye contact. 60% only hold it for four to five seconds. And when you look away, look a little up. Don't look down. I think that is just like 
three super just kind of quick takeaways that people could try and apply today and would probably see a, a big difference in how people respond to them. Definitely. Could I add actually one more tip on Please. eye contact add for people? Add all the tips. We're here for the tips. <laughs> <laughs> Got tips for days, Brad. Let's tips go. for days. Tip, tip it up. Let's go. <laughs> A lot of people think eye contact is uncomfortable, which mm -hmm. I totally understand. It can be, for sure, especially if you're not used to it. So for everyone out there listening that thinks eye contact feels weird or awkward, as you're practicing it and as you're getting better, I'm going to give you a little hack just to make it easier. So you can look at the space between someone's eyes or anywhere kind of around their eyes and it will look like you're still making eye contact. Oh, that's that's wild. It's cool. So if you, you don't feel comfortable right off the bat really looking someone in the eyes, you can kind of just look around their eyes and, and they're going to feel the same effect. Exactly. They'll still feel the connection, which is what you're going for. And I don't want you to rely on this forever. Just right. <laughs> disclaimer. That being said, for maybe particularly important situations or important people that you might feel even more uncomfortable, use this as a tool to still build that connection until you feel more comfortable. And try this with a friend so that you can actually see, oh, I could look maybe down partway down their nose and it still looks to them like I'm looking at their eyes. So actually see, it's kind of a fun game, see how far you can get from looking in a person's eyes until they actually notice that you're not. You can get farther than you think. Well, what a great kind of first little micro step towards being great at eye contact. Cause there are a lot of people out there. And I think we all know who they are in our lives that are just not comfortable with it. And you can tell they shy away from it and they only hold it for a second or two. And they look down at their, at their feet. Cause they, they just kind of get overwhelmed by that energy that you share with someone when you make eye contact. I mean, there's really something there when you make eye contact with someone, you feel their energy, they feel yours. It's kind of a magical thing, but a lot of people get overwhelmed by that. But to take that micro step of just looking, whatever it is at the bridge of their nose around their eyes, it just, it, you know, it's like uh, kind of going in the shallow end of the pool. And then eventually, hopefully you get a little bit more comfortable with it and a month or two down, down the line, you know, you're actually making eye contact for that four or five seconds that we talked about. Yeah, beautifully summarized. And another common question I get about eye contact is, well, what about video calls? Brett, you and I are on a video call right now. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, I've been making eye contact with you almost this whole time. So yeah. how have I been doing this? So another video call tip, and it aligns perfectly with eye contact, is look at your camera. This is essentially the video call equivalent of eye contact in real life. So when you look at your camera to the other person, it looks like you're looking at them. Most people do the opposite of this. They look down, they're looking at something on their screen, or they're looking at all of the people on their screen, and they're looking down or in the middle right for most right. of the call like, like, and then, you're, so, like you're doing right now and it looks totally different i'm feeling much different energy from you that's a great tip well, I, i've been screwing that up uh for the last tw <laughs> 20 weeks on this podcast <laughs> Shit. think of all the i'll think of all the increased connection i know i'm blowing it here <laughs> wow look at the camera that is really really powerful stuff and it's true it like it feels like you're looking me right in the eyes and you're actually looking at the camera that's that's awesome <laughs> This is one of my favorites because if you're one of those people that feels awkward, 
it doesn't feel awkward just looking at a dot on your screen or a webcam. You actually can't even see anyone. You don't need to even see anyone. You can minimize everyone if you'd like and just look at the camera. And that actually does a lot more for your connection and engagement throughout the call versus looking at the people. So this is a great tip for anyone that does Zoom calls, video calls on a regular basis. If there's 12 people on a call, you can just look in this one spot at your camera and all 12 will feel like you're looking at them. So this is pretty cool. Uh, that that's going to be, you know, great news for all the introverts listening, right? That they're going to be like that one I can take and use today. Like I, I'd much rather look at the dot than look at everyone on my screen. That is really, really cool stuff. How about presentations, live presentations? Do you put an emphasis on making eye contact with your audience during the presentation? That's a really good question. So that's sometimes a question I get asked too is, okay, I want to look at the camera, but sometimes if I'm sharing a screen mm -hmm. and I've got things to present, I need to look at some of the slides or whatever it might be. So sure. what I usually recommend is just do your best to look up at the camera when yeah. you're speaking every, every so often, as much as you can, Yeah. basically. So especially most presentations that we do now are likely virtual. Yeah. So look at the screen, look at your slides as needed, but yeah. always then take a moment to look up as you're speaking. You can return to your slides, but the more that you look at the camera as much as possible, definitely people are just going to be more engaged. They're going to feel more connected and they'll listen to you more if it seems like you're looking at them. Sure. Sure. hundred percent. And you know, kind of like switching gears a little bit, but still in the, the body language quadrant. Do you have your clients kind of put an emphasis on the way they walk? Like, is it important to kind of walk with a little bit of energy in your stride? Like, does that affect the way we communicate with the world or, or, or does that not really make a huge difference? It definitely plays a role. It definitely plays a role. It's not something we spend generally a ton of time on mm -hmm. because... Most people I work with are in the professional world and it's a lot of focus on video calls, how they speak, presenting, writing emails. And so in terms of the walking, it's really all the same sort of tips that we talked about when standing, right? So shoulders down and back, head up, yeah. arms at sides. And you really just want to keep that position when walking. Your posture is, is the most important part of this. It's too bad that our phones have kind of made us more hunched over. If you're walking, looking at your phone, you're kind of hunched no matter which way you put it, unless maybe you hold your phone up in front of your face, but nobody really does that. Right. <laughs> so as long as you're keeping the same things in mind sure. when you're walking, then you'll look confident Got it. and you look like a person that deserves respect when you're walking, which is also important. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I think that you know, we can't talk about communication without talking about listening too. And I think, you know, being a, a good listener is kind of an art form of sorts that a lot of people struggle with. I think, uh, you know, as, as I walk around and I see conversations throughout my day, you know, more and most of the time you're just seeing people um, kind of, you know, stepping on, you know, each other's sentences, you know, it's like, they're not letting the other person finish. They want to get their two cents in. You can tell they're not even listening really to what the person's saying. They're just formulating what they're gonna say next. Um, I read a book a long time ago called The Charisma Myth, which is a pretty pretty good one on communication skills. And one of the main takeaways from that book was 
actually let people finish what they're saying and truly hear them and then and then formulate your response and, and you'll respond in a more organic fashion and the people in front of you will actually feel heard and that's just something that they don't get a lot throughout their day so just kind of like what are like two or three of the main things that you think people can do to become more effective listeners yeah i really like what you said about how rare that it is now and that people are kind of stepping on each other's sentences it does happen a lot most of the time people are just not aware most people are just kind of going through their day on autopilot not really thinking about any of this stuff and so oh, just another conversation oh i'm gonna jump in oh i want to tell my piece it's actually even though it's not done intentionally kind of a selfish way to go through your day a really easy change that you can make is just go into an interaction and have a bit of intention of i'm going to listen to this person and understand what they're saying instead of jumping in so intention is important because if i told you brett that at the end of this conversation there would be a quiz on what we talked about and if you scored above 70%, I would give you $10 million. I'd probably be I can, a pretty good listener. I, I can already tell you're a great listener. You've been very engaged throughout this, and I appreciate you for that. But imagine how much more you would be focusing if $10 million was on the line. Now, your listening skills are the same. You have the same brain. Everything is equal. But you would just have a stronger intention. Now, you don't have to have a $10 million intention every conversation. Right. But even just having some sort of intention and awareness actually makes a huge, huge difference. It's a really tremendous gift that you can give to someone, which is just listening to them, giving them your attention, focusing on them, asking a couple questions, depending on what they said, instead of jumping in with your own opinion. A lot of it isn't really complicated. It's just that we don't do it and we're not thinking about it. Right. So if you want to give a gift to people throughout your day, pay attention, ask questions, have a bit of intention, maybe even set a reminder on your phone to go off three or four times today that says intentional listening or listen exclamation point. Maybe it's an ear emoji, whatever it is, maybe just to keep it fresh in your brain. <laughs> So that you actually approach interactions this way and people will be shocked at how well others respond to them. I frequently hear that I'm a pretty likable guy and I'm not naturally this way. <laughs> I'd say you're a very likable guy, Ty. I'm definitely, it's, it's, I'm, it's all strategic. It's all, it's all by design now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I am a communication side. I've learned, I've learned how to be likable over time. <laughs> But one of the big things that I do is when I meet somebody, I'm generally just interested in them. I ask some questions. I try not to talk about myself as much. This is an exception because I'm a guest on your show, so I'm yes. talking about myself a lot. It's kind of your role here is to <laughs> yeah, talk about yeah. yourself. So just playing my role. So in general, though, yeah. Don't worry, you're doing great. <laughs> Perfect. So in general, I actually just try to say less, be interested, and I'll genuinely say oh that's really interesting or that was an interesting conversation almost validate them a little bit because people like to feel that they're interesting they like to hear these things right i really enjoyed 
speaking with you or meeting with you. People hear that. It makes them feel good. So just easy little things. And now it's kind of a theme. People meet me and then I'll hear, oh, they really liked you. They had such a good conversation. I'm not really doing very much. I'm just giving them these little micro gifts of attention and validation. And people respond really well to that. Yeah. And it's all genuine, right? Like when right, you're, it is. you're like, you're genuinely interested in them. And when you give them a compliment, like it's a genuine compliment and, you know, people can really feel that. Of course, that's, you know, a tip I think I first heard in how to win friends and influence people, which to me is still the greatest personal development book of all time. I mean, I think if anyone hasn't read that one, they should read it twice. I mean, it is, it is, there are just so many fundamental, uh, accessible tips in there that can just, you know, up your, your game in every category. And yeah, what they, they do, they talk about just like people like to talk about themselves. Like it's just kind of like part of our nature. And if you're the guy that meets someone and puts the spotlight on them and is interested in them and their life and their goals and their interests, it's going to set you apart from the pack because most people are not interested in them. They're interested in themselves. So yeah, I think like, I love that just having the intention of being a good listener is something that we need to remind ourselves of, whether, like you said, it's a recurring notification or maybe it's like a recurring thing on your calendar at the top, like, you know, intentionally listen to people today. It is such a powerful tool and it's something, it's a tool that most people don't have in their toolbox. So it really can set you apart from the pack. It really can. And this is the first time I've ever had this thought, but a lot Ooh, of your brand new thoughts, Let's brand go. new thought. A lot of your <laughs> listeners, the two of us included, we love podcasts. We love podcasts. We listen to them. We have our favorite hosts. Think of yourself like a podcast host in a conversation. Brett, the way that you've done such a beautiful job here, listening to me, asking me questions, you're giving me great focus, great attention, great engagement. What if we approach conversations as a podcast host and the other person's our guest? By nature, a podcast host allows the guest to speak a lot more. It's all about the guest. The focus is on the guest. So if we love podcasts, maybe we are now the podcast host going throughout our day. I like that a lot. That's a great mindset to approach your day with. And, you know, similar to the way you'd host a podcast, you'd, of course, you know, interject your own points here and there. Of course, you still want to add your own value, but for the most part, you're putting the spotlight on the guests. And I think that is just a really cool mindset to go throughout your day. And uh, honestly, it's kind of part of the reason I started a podcast is because I kind of feel like just my communication style is I love to ask questions. And I'm like, I kind of interview people all day long anyway. I might as well make a show out of this. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> yeah. so that, that's pretty interesting that you said that. Another analogy that I heard along the way, which I kind of liked was, you know, if you're in a group setting, you know, don't think of yourself as like the power forward that has to score 40 points. Think of yourself as the point guard, the distributor. You know, you're asking this person a question. You're giving them the spotlight. And sure, then they'll toss you back the ball, score a couple points, tell a story or two, distribute to somebody else. You know, put the spotlight on someone else and, you know, just ask good questions to everyone in the group. Make sure everyone gets a little bit of spotlight. You know, be like, be the John Stockton, the Magic Johnson of the group. You know, you don't got to be LeBron James just hammering home stories all day long. <laughs> <laughs>
But um, and you mentioned a little bit about likability before, and you know how you know you are you kind of developed into a likable personality, which I totally agree. Even just watching your content on Instagram, I like you. I'm like, I like this guy. It's kind of part of the reason I reached out to you to be a guest. I'm like, this guy just seems cool. He just seems like a nice guy that has a lot of value to offer. Um, you know, we talked about how you can convey power, but like, what's one or two things that people can do just to be more likable? Yeah, it's a good question. So we, we highlighted two very powerful ones at the beginning, which was listening closely, giving people our attention. Mm -hmm. We talked about validating them in some type of way. So I really enjoyed this conversation. That was really interesting. People love to hear those things there. Those are very likable things. Something that I actually have done for the past couple of years too is I keep a note on my phone and I actually make little notes on conversations that I have with people. And the reason I do this is that the next time I see them, I have a bit of context about something to ask them. You know what's really likable is when you haven't seen someone for a couple months and the last time you spoke, you were telling them about your dog. And then they say, oh, how's your dog? And they know the name and they know the breed. You look like a superhero with a great memory. But also, to them, it just shows that you really care and you were yes. listening and you value them. So I keep a little note on my phone. So if I meet somebody or if I am at an event or wherever I am and have a quick little conversation, I actually just take my phone out right after, make a couple notes. And people are so surprised, pleasantly surprised the next time I see them when I ask them about their bathroom renovations or that they tried broccolini for the first time. <laughs> and they're just like, wow, th that's so nice that you remembered. And they're just almost not, not to the point of being blown away, but very, very surprised that I would care enough to remember. That's really now, powerful. Story. Sure, I didn't I, technically I remember. I wrote it down, but but still, the the effort is there. The effort's there. And, that's what matters. And that's yeah. So okay. that is an easy thing. Just quick note on your phone: two seconds, couple notes. That's I actually it, something yeah. that everyone should be doing. A hundred percent, and it's, it's something that that I certainly have done in the past. And if you you know don't see someone for a month or two or, or three. And yeah, you remember that their, you know, that their kid Johnny is playing summer league baseball and you ask how the season went. Like that's the sort of thing that people really appreciate. It gives us the warm and fuzzies in our belly, right? And just makes us really like someone genuinely more than we did, you know, before they remembered something like that. That is a really powerful little tip and it's pretty easy to do, right? You have a conversation, you take out your note, you write a couple things you learned about that person. If you're going to a party and you're gonna see them a couple months down the line, take out your note, review your notes, you know? So you've got an instant conversation starter, something that's gonna make them like you and appreciate you more and just kind of grease the wheels a little bit on the relationship. That, that's really just a powerful little tip. I like that one a lot. Yeah, it really is. And from a business standpoint, too, you now have these little notes and maybe you connect with them on LinkedIn or you connect with them on Instagram or you send them an email or whatever it might be. You now have a way of following up with them or checking in with them without just being like, hey, how are you? How was your weekend? You know, now you can say, hey, I really enjoyed speaking with you about your son Johnny's baseball league. I remember the playoffs were last weekend. How did he do? 
That's huge. That's just huge. little things like that. Yeah. Oof. Oh, they're huge. They really are. I know. You know, if someone remembers something about me and I haven't seen him in months, I'm like, wow. I'm like, this guy actually cares about me. I'm like, this guy is a good guy. I like him a little bit more right now. And, you know, while we're on, you know, kind of like, um, you know, communication, of course, we got to talk a little bit about the written word, right? Because it's not all about what you say and what you listen. Sometimes it's about how you write. Uh, are there any like just big mistakes that you see commonly that people are making in their emails these days? Yeah, very glad you brought this up. We send so many emails, Tons. especially if you're in the professional world, business world, there's always emails that you got to send respond to. We frequently need people to help us with things. We need things done for us or we're doing things for others. And so emails are very, very important because we don't have that tone of voice. We've got no body language. 100% it's all about the words. So the first thing that I'll say is oftentimes people write emails and it sounds like they care more about themselves. So they're using a lot of I. And so I need you to do this. I am going to be on this podcast and I need you to send me all these things because I want to make a good impression. It's a lot of me focus. So even just looking through your emails and saying, how can I change this to make it you? So instead of like, I need this, we could ask a question and maybe say, would you please do this? How can we make those I sentences you sentences? Oh, I like that. That's powerful. That really is. It's not about me. It's about you. It's I'm here for you. Because we're all thinking in some shape or form. We're all thinking, okay, what is, what is really in it for me? What's, what does this have to do with me? If it's an email all about the other person, we're kind of like, so what, <laughs> you know, deep yeah. down we're like, I don't, I have my own things to do. Right. <laughs> you exactly. know, we all kind of have those initial responses for sure. So making it more about the other person, a big, big, big thing that I teach too is phrasing everything as a question as much as possible. Questions versus directions, orders, statements. Okay. The reason for this, Brett, is that people don't really like being told what to do at any stage of their life. Think of your, you know, you're a toddler and it's time to go to bed or you're not supposed to ride this truck on the streets because it's dangerous. Sure. You're resistant to being told not to do something of course, or to come inside. Yeah. And then when you're a teenager, you need to be home at this time. You can't do this. Do these chores. We're told what to do. We don't like it then. Then now even as adults, let's say we're sharing something with a friend and they just start unsolicited giving us advice. Like, oh, you should do this. Oh, this is what I think. And we're usually resistant. A part of us is like, pff, pff, I don't need your advice. Don't tell me what to do. Sure, it's always inside of us. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So even if it's like a boss or somebody who's in a senior role that has the right to tell us what to do, it still doesn't usually feel good. So instead of easy example, please send the following information. Even though we're using please, it still doesn't sound as nice as would you please send the following information? Question right. mark. Yeah, like giving the, someone an option. They have the option. If they exactly choose, if they choose to do it, then it's it's under their own goodwill, but it's their choice. 
That's exactly what it is. They feel like they're in control. They feel like they have autonomy, which we want to feel like we have that power, that control, that autonomy. And so even though a lot of times, you know, they have to do it or we need them to do it, sure. we don't really have an option. Right. <laughs> but we like to, <laughs> if we phrase it that way, it's just better received. It feels better to the other person. And the whole idea here is that we want the email to be read with a positive tone. And when people feel better reading your emails, they'll respond faster. They'll help you more. They'll like you more as a person. You'll have a better relationship with them, which just then has a lot of combined benefits just to writing emails that are a bit more respectful, a bit more reader focused. Those are just little changes that can help you actually get a lot more done when yeah. you're emailing people. That's powerful. Email or even text, right? You know, like yeah, try, same try, thing. Try to convert and convert some of those statements um, to questions and people will be a lot more receptive to what you're asking them to do just because innately. Yeah. We don't like to be bossed around. We don't like to be told that we have to do something. And like you said, you're, you're turning it into a question. And at the end of the day, they still do kind of have to do it or you're going to find someone else to do it. But it's, it's at least giving them like the, the perception that they have a, a choice. And listen, they do have a choice, of course, but just kind of it softens the, the, the statement a little bit. And I could see why people would be much more you know, willing to do what you're asking them to do if, if you send it in the form of a question. It's really true. And even I'm so hyper aware of these things, but I still notice myself having the same responses. So I had a video editor that he would send me videos. I'd send him the raw clips. He'd send me the completed ones back. And he would say, check this video. And I could feel it like irritated me. I'd be like, check this video. Right. I'm the one paying you. What are you doing telling me what to do? Right. How dare you? Even though I'm so aware, I know like he doesn't know. He doesn't mean it in that way. But I still even notice myself having those like initial initial emotional reactions sure. check this <laughs> check like how dare you check this. Even, check right. this, yeah exactly so i i had to basically explain this and like can you please just send would you check this or would you please check this to me can you just ask me because i'm just gonna feel better about reading your messages and then now i see a message would you please check this i'm like oh yeah sure i'll check this yeah let's do it yeah Yeah. what what a powerful little tweak that that you can really implement right away and we'll just have people so much more responsive to what you're looking to get done and that is really really good stuff and i noticed you know during you know that segment and even earlier on that you did use my name, you, you know, you, you threw Brett in there. And, uh, and I'm just curious, like, is that something intentional that you try and use someone's name a couple times during a dialogue? I do try to mix it in. I'm going to use your reference, Brett, of how to win <laughs> friends and influence people. The yeah. classic, the OG communication book. I believe there's a quote in that book that says a person's name is to them the sweetest sound in the English language. It's something like that. Yeah. And so I, I'm not sure if it's the sweetest sound, but it's definitely a sweet sound. Yeah. So I do try to intentionally use it. it just makes it more personal too. And because going back to the awareness that I have just being in this space, when somebody says, okay, and for you, Ty, here's what you're going to want to do. I feel that. And then I notice myself feeling it. Like, oh, yeah, this is for me. 
Yeah. Right. And then I, that like reinforces that I need to continue using <laughs> others' names. Cause it definitely helps just with that connection. hundred percent. Yeah, it really does. And I, and I think a lot of people don't use the other person's name regularly. It's not something that we kind of naturally do. So I think it is just another little reminder that we can give ourselves on a daily or a weekly basis. Like, use people's names once in a while while you're talking to them. Because when you hear your own name, you really do enjoy it. There's an emotion that kind of flows through your body when someone actually says your name towards you. Um, there's a little bit of magic there. I love that. That is really good stuff. And just kind of one more topic I want to touch on, you know, before we wrap things up is, you know, just like storytelling and the art of storytelling. And I think it's such a powerful communication skill, not necessarily one that comes naturally to everyone. I think some people are tremendous storytellers naturally right out of the womb, but a lot of us aren't. It's not a skill that we're necessarily comfortable with, whether it's telling a story at a presentation or even just telling a story at a dinner table. I think it's an important skill that a lot of people should probably be working on. Uh, is there anything that, that you give your clients on the topic of storytelling to just kind of allow them to be a little bit more effective in that area? The number one thing I would recommend with storytelling is to know your audience. A lot of times the story that you might tell, maybe it is funny, maybe it is entertaining, but you're just not telling it to the right people. <laughs> so think about, let's say, let's say I had no interest in soccer and then you and I were having a conversation and you just started telling this long story about the soccer game that you went to and all the teams and the players and I just kind of be sitting there, nodding along, trying to be polite. But in my head, I'm thinking, I care zero about this. I am not enjoying this. I have no interest in this. Right. <laughs> now, me, I might obviously show interest just given who I am. Because I'd be wanting to engage with you and connect sure. with you. Right. Generally speaking, though. Right. If there's a guy to tell a bad story to, it's you. Like, you're the yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For anyone listening, I don't. That's that's not a <laughs> that's not a free for all to just message me and tell me all of your stories. <laughs> but I'll, I'll do my best. But but know your audience. Right. <laughs> I love it. So that's probably the first thing because a lot of times we just oh I have this good story about what happened here. I have this story about something that happened in my business. Mm -hmm. But we don't often think about okay, is this is this relevant to the person? Why would they actually care about this? Do I know that the humor, if it's a funny story, is something that aligns with them? And if you're not sure, I'd say it's usually better not to tell the story because it's a great way to just have people zone out and get bored if, number one, it's not relevant to them. Or if it's not told in a way that is engaging enough. This goes back to the conciseness and the clarity. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we just give too many details. They didn't need to know that it was February, that it was spring, the weather is irrelevant. They didn't need to know every person that was there. A lot of times we give unnecessary details. So knowing your audience and being concise would probably be two of the main ones, the simple, yeah. ones that I would say right. would have a big impact. That, that story doesn't need to be eight minutes. It can probably be three minutes and it'd be a little bit more uh, effective. And it's funny that you say know your audience. I actually, I recently took a, a storytelling class where you'd kind of get together with people and tell stories and they'd give you feedback. 
And I was telling a story about um, like a college road trip with me and my buddy. And I mentioned that like before the road trip, you know, we both took like 10 milligrams of Adderall, you know, and I thought it was hilarious. It was like, oh yeah, me and my buddy took Adderall. We're in college. It's funny. But when I got feedback from the class, two of the girls in the class were like, you know, once you mentioned the fact that you took Adderall, like it really turned us off to the whole story. Like it just sounded so fratty and juvenile and I just wasn't that interested after it. And I think that's to your point, know your audience. And if the story doesn't apply to them, maybe don't tell it, or at least mold the story a little bit kind of towards them and something that they would appreciate a little bit more. Um, I think that's a really, really good tip is, you know, keep it concise and know who, and know, know who you're telling your story to. Yeah. You gave a perfect example there. I think we probably all have had a friend at some point where they just start talking about these ridiculous party stories that's like oh actually i have like a pretty wholesome girl here that i was trying to impress <laughs> who like isn't really about that life right. or it's like my sister's here or something like that but i think we can all relate to the friend with just no filter none who just blasts out those stories so take that as a good cue of what not to do <laughs> right we, we've all got our our fratty bro stories that are probably better you know they're, they're better kept for the bro nights you know you don't have to be, yeah. you don't have to be telling those at like the sophisticated uh brunches where everyone's got their wife there um ty this was awesome man i mean you just brought so much value to the audience i learned a ton about how to communicate effectively uh, i really appreciate being on the show Thanks for having me. This was an exceptional conversation. You demonstrated all of the great communication qualities of listening, focus, engagement. You asked really good questions, but you also shared a lot of your own personal insights that were really valuable and added to the conversation. So I can tell you, you've probably done a lot of these. And I can definitely tell you've had many conversations like this off camera too, because you, my friend, you are very polished when it comes to conversations. All right. Polished. I feel good. I feel like I just had a coaching session. I'm ready to take on the <laughs> world, man. Ty, like where can people follow you? And I will encourage everyone to follow Ty. His Instagram is awesome. I mean, he, he puts out videos every single day and every single one has like a tip that you can take action on immediately. But, you know, where can people follow you? You know, what are you working on right now? You know, how can people keep up with, with your adventure? Yeah, thanks for asking. So. Ty Hosgen on all platforms, which is T-Y-H-O-E-S-G-E-N. That's the same on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. Those are the three big ones that I post on every day. I do put out a video too, so it's a great way to pick up more bite-sized tips, just like the ones we shared today. And I do have a free video training I'm going to give to all of your listeners as well, Brett. So it's okay. called Five Science-Backed Video Call Secrets every professional needs to know. So we talked a bit about video calls here today, but if you want to learn more about how to maximize your success on those video calls and actually be able to see visually with your eyes what to do, listening to a podcast about, hey, put your camera like this, may not be enough for you. So if you want to take that a step further and really learn how to gain respect on video calls, increase your connection, just build the types of relationships that are going to get you the opportunities, the income and everything that you deserve. The link for the training is videocallstar.com. So videocallstar.com. 
Perfect. And, and we'll put that in the notes of the podcast too. And I, I really appreciate you giving the listeners a free gift there. I mean, listen, video calls is just like an unbelievably important skill ever since COVID. It's something that everyone needs to kind of level their game up in. Ty Hosgen, you are the man. I appreciate you being here. This was an awesome episode, guys. And uh, for all the listeners out there, I appreciate you being here with us today. I know you're going to take something out of this conversation and put it into action today. And until next time, guys, get out.